Hey, it's Chris Jarvis. And Kalia Metcalf. And thank you for, for listening, listening to It's a, a Queer Thing. thing. to It's a Queer Thing. It's the third Friday of the month, and I'm Kalia Metcalf, and next to me is... I'm Chris Jarvis. Thank you so much for coming back to KFCF. And again, It's a Queer Thing, because it's us, and it's the third Friday of the month. So just a reminder, this radio station and all its programs are listener-supported. So if you'd like to make a donation or monthly pledge, one-time pledge, go to www.kfcf.org and just click on the big donate button. So as the opening song kind of introed we are going to talk about hate crimes today um we have a couple uh two or three interviews um and then at the end of the show we have dr kat fober here to talk about a local event coming up but we're going to start on the hate crime topic yes hate crimes are definitely an issue that affects everybody obviously us in the queer community as well as people of different ethnicity backgrounds race religion creed etc it's definitely a problem and it's something that is very universally felt and people have a lot of opinions about hate crimes, whether or not they should be prosecuted, whether they should have more serious repercussions, all that kind of stuff, and we will touch on that. But before we do, we want to tell you about a local event that is coming up. It's actually next week on Wednesday, and I'm just going to let Dr. Darren Miller tell us all about it. Hit hate it. crimes are affecting all communities in the city of Fresno. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Darren Miller, a board member with the San Joaquin Valley Media Alliance. And I want to introduce and invite everyone to attend our town hall number two on stopping the hate in the Fresno metropolitan area. As we all know, hate crimes have been on the rise across the country and here right at home here in Fresno. This event is meant to bring together and unify all communities in the city of Fresno to eliminate and stop hate. We want hate to be eliminated on our schools. We want hate to be eliminated in our churches, in all aspects of life. All of us who are committed to stopping hate and committed to doing their part, please make sure that you attend this free event on January 25th. A plethora of speakers representing a wide breadth of our community are all coming together to unite to stop hate. This event will be held on Wednesday, January 25th at the Hondo Performing Arts Building on the campus of Central East High School. Attendees to this event will be able to listen to representatives from the United States Attorney's Office, as well as the California Department of Justice and numerous local community organizations who are committed to stopping hate here in the Fresno metropolitan area. So once again, please join us Wednesday, January 25th at 5.30 p.m. at the Hondo Performing Arts Building on Central East Campus. Look forward to seeing everyone Wednesday night. Okay, and that music, by the way, was Journey by Roa. So that was Dr. Darren Miller. And of course, if you'd like more information, you can go to the Facebook event page. You've got to search in Facebook and you've got to type in how to Stop Hate Crimes Town Hall, January 25th, and then you will get all the information. And this event is sponsored by Community Alliance, and they have an article and a bunch of information on their website Yeah, as well. you can visit FresnoAlliance.com or SJ, SJVMediaAlliance.org. Um, there will be some speakers at the event. 
Uh, they include the California Department of Justice Office of Community Awareness, Response, and Engagement, Citizen Activist and Lawyer Patience Milrod, Central Unified uh, SD Board President, Trustee Nadeep Singh, and Pastor D.J. Kreiner of the St. Rest Baptist Church. So again, Wednesday, January 25th, 5.30 p.m., free event at Central East High School Hondo Lodge, 3535 North Cornelia Avenue, Fresno. So um, what we have next is we have a special guest on the phone with us. It's United States Attorney Phil Talbert. Phil, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for joining us. So um, just give us your title and what you do at the department. You bet, Chris. Uh, Thanks. My name is Phil Talbert. I'm the United States Attorney for the uh, Eastern District of California, uh, which uh, covers 34 California counties, including Fresno County, basically everything in the Central Valley and the Sierra Mountains from the Oregon border down to and including Bakersfield. Great. Um, So can you define what qualifies as a hate crime to us? Sure. A hate crime generally is if you have a criminal offense that is committed for a reason of a bias. So it's, it's really just generally a crime involving a bias. And that bias can be against, uh, you know, based on religion, based on race, uh, disability status, LGBT, you know, uh, status, uh, you know, whatever. But it's, it's basically a crime plus that extra element. Okay. And I know... Uh especially people in the LGBTQ community are assaulted or abused and by someone else, they typically always want it to be classified as a hate, a hate crime, and that's not always the case. So talk a little bit about how law enforcement determines whether you're going to go after somebody for a hate crime or just the, the physical crime they committed. Well, so usually when one of these events comes up, that we have a criminal offense and we see evidence of bias, uh, then we really have to uh, decide um, whether it's best prosecuted at the federal level or at the or at the state county level. And sometimes uh, California state law on hate crimes is much more protective, uh, and so uh, the district attorney is the one in the best position to go forward, or the California attorney general. Uh, and sometimes federal law is more protective, and so uh, the decision made to go forward. Uh, Oftentimes, you know, while we, we may suspect that uh, bias is the motivation of a person committing a crime, if we can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, then uh, we may have to charge other crimes. Or there may be other offenses that uh, have a more appropriate penalty right. uh, than, uh, than a hate crime statute. So if the original offense has a, a more stringent uh, penalty, you may not want to put on the hate crime because it's not going to add anything to the sentence or the, or the uh, verdict. Well, or we may have we have, may have a mixture. We had a case, the Justin Whittington case, down in Bakersfield, with a skinhead who uh, used a sawed-off shotgun to shoot at and scare a, a Latino man uh, to basically get out of the neighborhood. And really, the the sentence he he ended up getting a sentence of fifteen years in federal prison for that. We showed the hate, the bias, motivation. Uh, but it was really the uh, uh, the firearm statutes because he used an illegal firearm right. that uh, drove most of the uh, most of the sentence. And tell me if I'm wrong here. Do does uh, tacking on a hate crime have to do also with the history of the person? In other words, not just what they were feeling or using against the victim in that particular case, but also their history of doing that. Isn't that what signifies whether they can be charged with a hate crime? 
Well, for us at the federal level, it's really a matter of uh, it's evidence of the bias. So if okay. someone is in, uh, you know, this, this person was in a skinhead group. He had tattoos that identified with white supremacy. Uh, he he used uh, racial epithets. Uh, so all those were evidence of bias. And the state system's a little bit different with respect to hate crime enhancements and that. At the federal level, it's really, uh, you can either prove it as, you know, one of the traditionally hate crimes or as an, another type of uh, federal criminal offense. Okay. Kaylee is going to ask a question here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are two of us here. Um how does someone in Fresno go about reporting a hate crime? Is it they just start at the local level and then that is where it's determined if it gets ratcheted up to the federal or how does that work? That, so that's a great question. What we encourage uh, is what we call dual reporting. So first of all, if, you know, if, if it's an emergency or an urgent situation, we, we tell people call 911. <laughs> you know, call, right, make right. sure you're safe first, right? But if, you know, if, if, the, if that part is passed, then we encourage calling both the locals, whether it's the local police department, you know, Fresno PD, or if you're out in the unincorporated area, then call the Fresno Sheriff. Also call the FBI. So 1-800-CALL-FBI is a national toll-free number, and they've got language assistance for people who are not English speakers, uh, because often those are the people who are targeted with hate crimes. Right. And dual reporting makes sure that both, you know, potential law enforcement agencies know about this. Now, uh, we talk, you know, the, the generally the, the police departments and the sheriff's office and the FBI talk whenever there's one of these incidents. But just in case, uh, and to make sure that it finds the appropriate home, we encourage people to call both. Okay. And can you talk to us about the trend in the U.S.? We hear that there's a lot of hate crimes and hate crimes are on the rise. Um, we hear about that within specific groups, especially around um, crimes against the Asian Pacific Islander community in terms of COVID. And of course, we're sensitive to the LGBT community because of the nightclub shootings that happened, etc. But what is the actuality that might be different from the perception? Is there a trend of rise and which groups are the ones that are being the most affected? Yes, and, and, and that's not just a perception, that, that is the truth. And okay. So there's, there's, two, let me say, there's two sets of statistics. Uh, the FBI collects national statistics and then the state attorney general here in California collects state, uh, state statistics. And the national uh, statistics uh, as of 2021 are a little off because they're in the middle of changing the reporting system. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but generally, if you look at particularly the California state uh, statistics over the last 10 years, there's been uh, a trend upward. It bounces up and down each year, but there's a trend upward in okay. hate crimes uh, almost doubling over about 10 years. Uh, in overall hate crime, uh, uh, that, that hate crimes that are reported, and then just uh, since the pandemic, there's been an increase uh, year over year the last couple of years in uh, hate crimes. And you're right with respect to um, uh, uh, the category of, uh, kind of sexual orientation and gender identification. Uh, reported hate crimes are up in California, uh, and uh, and that. The share of that is about, um, you look at kind of all reported hate crimes, uh, the share that relates to sexual orientation and gender identification uh, related hate crimes is about 20%, so about one out of five that are reported. Wow. The largest category is hate crimes based on race. Okay. And what about uh, hate crimes against Jewish people? Is I would think that, well, at least right now, that might be the largest category. Is that true? 
No, so actually based on religion is a smaller share, but oh. we are seeing increases in both the state and the national statistics uh, for uh, hate crimes based on uh, religion. So it's so still... right now, right now, and the and California and the nation are uh, are fairly similar with respect to race is the kind of number one category that experiences uh, hate crimes, and then. Uh, sexual orientation and gender identification uh, grouped together, and then religion. Okay. So, um, go ahead. I, I, it's, it's kind of an out there question, but I watch a lot of Law and Order, and I think it was last. <laughs> oh, if we only had the in, the tone I, to play. Dun, dun. Um, <laughs> I, I think it was last year, maybe the year before. Um, they had an episode where they went after somebody because he had killed a woman, and they said that he had a history. Uh, his misogyny was basically his bias, and they were treating this crime against this woman as a hate crime, and that was specifically just her gender. Now, obviously that's fiction i understand but i'm wondering how do they determine okay so we have race and we have religion and we have sexual orientation i'm assuming that like more categories have been added since the inception of hate crimes how does that happen and who decides what's a category that can be part of the category of hate crimes that that's a great question and if you're if you're a federal criminal prosecutor like i am you would be frustrated to a certain extent because uh, the federal hate crime law it's just statute by statute. They were passed at different times, and over time, they've become more and more inclusive as far as the number of different groups that are recognized. So really, the big advance was made in 2009 when President Obama signed the Shepard Bird Hate Crimes Act, which extended federal hate crimes protection further than it had uh, been before uh, in the first time to include sexual orientation and gender identification. Gender is one of the uh, categories that is recognized in uh, some of the federal hate crimes laws, but not all. And and while it, it would be nice if uh, federal law you know, had a general, if you commit a federal crime and you do it for a biased motive involving one of these groups, we don't have a statute like that. The Shepard Burton Act is the closest one to that, but it's not that that uh, uh, that general. Okay, okay so um, so I get into these arguments sometimes with people about hate crimes. Um, I don't think, first of all, the people generally understand what hate crimes are all about. Um, it's more complex than did the person get angry or hate the person they were attacking. Um, right. But. Uh, how do you counter people that say, I don't believe hate crime should exist because we should just punish the crime and that hate crimes to them appear to be the thought police? You can't, you can't go after somebody's thoughts. Right, because really the crime is against the community that's being targeted. People hate crimes, while you know, they, they may be you know, individuals that the perpetrator knows often the perpetrator doesn't know the people that he's attacking. He's attacking a race. He's attacking a religion. He's attacking, you know, a group that is in some way uh, he wants to, or she, wants to send a message. And that's what makes it so egregious, that it's not just an attack on an individual victim. It's an attack on an entire community. And the message from the perpetrator is, you don't belong. You're not equal. And, you know, in, in the United States of America, <laughs> where all of us are right. created equal and, and have enjoy the same civil rights as each other, uh, that this crime is that message. So that's why hate crimes are, are set aside and, and have a particular offense uh, separate from general crimes. 
and as as I remember when the Matthew Shepard Act happened, um, I think I, I remember one of the motivations behind this law getting passed was the local officials where Matthew Shepard was murdered were not pro, pro, um, going after. They weren't investigating it the way they should be. So was isn't wasn't part of it the idea that if local officials aren't uh, investigating these crimes because of their own prejudices, that's where we can bring in the hate crime act. Exactly. So there is a federal remedy, even if there's no state remedy. And in Wyoming, there was no uh, state hate crime law. Right, uh, right. You know, e- either they were going to get you know uh, prosecuted for assault or you know or murder or nothing. Uh, nothing with respect to why. Shepard was picked out and why he was killed. Uh, whereas the, the uh, you know, that's why that's why I think the, the Shepard Bird uh, Act is so powerful because it does stretch across the country. Now, here in California, we're lucky that California state hate crime law is strong, and so often it's the often these crimes will be prosecuted at the state level, not the federal level. Yeah, but we, we're lucky, and not everyone is across. Yeah, we always state. say that when we talk about a, a whole array of issues that we're so lucky in California to have all the rights that we have as uh, LGBT people and ethnicities and, and religious people and all of this. We're very protected in this state. We have one last question for you, and it's kind of about how hate crimes are being motivated, but specifically where do you think people are learning the hate that leads them to commit hate crimes? Do you think it's a, a matter of like, you know, the breakdown of society? Is it Fox News? Well, I mean, I know you don't have one silver answer, but <laughs> anything that you could point to you think that might be causing hate? You know, I, I think that, I, think that uh, I, I can't point to one single cause. Uh, I suspect that hate crimes have always been with us. We may not have called them that in past you know, decades and, and centuries of our country's history, but I, I think that the, the worst thing it seems is that the people are isolated; they don't understand other communities than their own, uh, and, and so uh, to uh, uh, you know to, to kind of broaden people's experience. Uh, if, if you know someone in a different group, it's really hard to hate that group as a whole. Exactly. If, if someone's your friend or your coworker. Uh, but uh, I, I think you know, and, and the and the you know the ideologies, uh, harmful ideologies, get passed around. You know, whether it's within families or on the internet, uh, and people do get radicalized, uh, and in this area too. Yeah, I think yep. you're exactly right. I think the more we get to know each other, that's a huge part of the solution. It's just because, and especially now that we at least seem much more divided than we have been, people are staying in their own camp and and not, uh, you know, learning how to deal with other people and getting to know other people. Well, listen, Phil, we really, yes. really appreciate you Thank calling you. in and giving us this information. Yeah. Again, everybody, it's 1-800-CALL-FBI. Um, please report. And uh, I, I just want to say that Kaylee and I used to run an LGBTQ center here in Fresno, and we had some threatening postcards once that were threatening to bomb us and kill us and this and that. It was oh, yeah. really the, it was the cut yeah. and paste stuff you see on probably a Law and Order episode. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say that the FBI really stepped up. They found the guy, um, and they took care of things. Good. So we really appreciate what you guys do. Yes, thank you so much. Well, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to be on the program. Really appreciate the time. All right, thank you. Take care.
Are there any criminal or crime sort of trends that, that the general public should know about here in Fresno? I can tell you we have not seen an uptick in hate crimes the way other communities have. We are also a lot more sensitive. So those are reported a lot better than they used to be. But I still believe that they're underreported. So it's great for us to be able to say, hey, you know, these are actually pretty rare. We only get a handful of these per year. But it's also very safe to say these are probably underreported. So there's there's more hate crimes going on that we know about that just simply are reported. So that's why it's important that we work together with the Office of Community Engagement and, and Diversity and Inclusion that the city of Fresno has so we can reach out to our communities, answer questions like I'm doing right now, and just educate them and say, look, if you're if you feel like you are the victim of a hate crime, if you've been targeted, if you've been assaulted, if you've been vandalized, and you feel that it's because of one of these reasons, please reach out and report it. Yeah, as we all know, Fresno's a very diverse place. And that's what great makes us a great place to live. That's what makes us strong, but that's also what makes us a little bit more difficult to, to make sure that we communicate with everyone. We work very hard to reach out and uh, stay connected so people know what to do in case they are the victim of a hate crime. Speaking of crimes that are reported or not reported, I know sometimes crimes are reported as hate crimes that maybe aren't actually hate crimes and, and obviously vice versa. And mm-hmm. in October of last year, there was a crime in the tower that was reported at least on the news media sites as a hate crime. And I obviously know you can't talk about any ongoing investigations, but is there anything that you can tell us about that particular incident? Is it being treated as a hate crime? Is there any feedback? So we took the report as a hate crime because of the things that were said uh, before the attack took place. And and I know you're, you're very well informed. I can't go into details as far as the specifics of that particular case, but I can tell you that you know it was an assault in the, in the tower theater. And the specific things that the attacker said made us believe that this was uh, at least motivated by the uh, the uh, person's you know LGBT status. So we definitely documented it that way, and um, I believe we did identify who the suspect was. The, the one great thing about living in 2023 is that you know there's cameras everywhere, especially in our entertainment and restaurant districts. You're going to have a lot of cameras, so it's not it's not too difficult to find a business that, that caught it on video and be able to show it to the public and identify the person. So once we get all the information, we determine okay, is this a better case for the feds? To handle or is this a better case for us to handle locally? It just kind of depends. That's something very typical that we do with, for example, our gang-involved crimes. Any gang crime with a weapon involved, you know, we we sit down with a U.S. attorney and with with a local DA and say, okay, where should we try this particular case? Obviously, we want to hold people accountable, so so we typically go where it's easier to get a conviction and and where the individual is going to receive a tougher sentence. So that's typically two of the things that we look at when we proceed on where we will try the case. It sounds like you guys are very supportive of all the communities here in Fresno, and we are a very diverse city. But specifically, because this is a queer radio show, can you Mm -hmm. tell us anything specifically that the police department does to support the LGBTQ community? We are the police department of the city of Fresno, which includes every single community. To me, it does not matter who you are, where you live, what your economic status is, what color your skin, where you go to church at, or if you don't, you know, we are here to protect and serve every single member of this community. The city is a big city, so it's broken down in grids and policing districts. And for example, the Tower District is inside of our central district. And we make sure that there is a liaison designated by that captain. So every district has a captain and they designate somebody that can connect uh, with uh, with a community. So I have Punjabi officers who speak the 
the language, who keep me informed and say, hey, we, we've seen a rising crimes affecting our Punjabi citizens and here's what's going on. And we always reach out to, you know, people in that community so, so they know that, hey, we know about this or, or here's some tips to protect you. Uh, it's no different in the uh, LGBTQ community. We have several police officers who are openly gay and we love them. They, we support them. They are um, some of the most professional, hardworking police officers that we have. And, you know, uh, that's one thing that I'm looking forward to doing at some point is assigning a specific liaison that people feel comfortable with reaching out to and saying, hey, uh, here's what's going on in our community. Here is what we are experiencing and how can the police department help? We attend a lot of tower specific community events. We have an open line of communication with our LGBT community. They can reach out and they can give us information. And, you know, typically, obviously they can reach out to me, but I have to assign that to that specific area that that is more boots on the ground and knows what's going on. But um, open lines of communication are very important. And you know what? We can always do better. We can always improve in that area. Uh, that's something that, that uh, we're very open to. If there's a deficiency, we need to we need to work on it and, and make it better. But I, I would certainly hope that our LGBTQ community feels uh, supported and feels that this police department is you know here to protect them and serve them. That can be a little bit volatile sometimes. This is a community where we had the the uh, tower protests for uh, you know a year. And, you know, we had two different groups and they were both very vocal. And, and there we were uh, as a police department in the middle of it trying to keep the peace. You know, and our main goal was, hey, how can we create a space where people can exercise their right to protest, to congregate, to be heard and, and protect everyone's rights? And it was difficult, I'll be honest with you. I mean, at some point we had four different groups at the tower converging literally on different corners and you know everybody's kind of pointing the finger and it's really hard to decipher but whenever there was there were threats or attacks we certainly looked into it and we took appropriate action so speaking of events how do you determine which sorts of events are likely to need a police presence and i'm thinking specifically about like the drag events that happen Mm -hmm. here in town they're all very different you know if it's a big event for example if it's a march you know march has to go to the city get the pro permits the city will reach out to the policing district and say hey here's a walk expecting x number of people so then we determine okay do streets need to be closed off and, and obviously that that requires some some police presence some police enforcement to make sure that everyone stays safe on the smaller events well you know obviously with social media there's like there's no secrets right you you, you see the advertisements hey this is going to happen and we have people that monitor that kind of stuff we have people that monitor what is going on in our community and if there's anything that we should be concerned or aware about and this one very quickly popped up uh not so much because we saw it but because the event organizers reached out and said hey Ah. we're holding this event can you help and and we did we had police officers out there we actually asked reached out to our federal partners they were also there and we had no incidents you know we we were very fortunate and by the way we we have not had any large scale major incidents uh, in the past couple years here in fresno Uh, that's not just because of the police department although obviously we've been doing our jobs but that's also because we have great relationships with the event organizers so we can plan ahead and they listen to us i guess to answer your question it's 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 on a case-by-case basis but if we expect problems if we expect issues or public safety to be at risk then we're gonna we're probably gonna be there how do you prepare your officers for going into those volatile or potentially volatile situations? You know, actually, we have special teams. And, and yes, yeah, sometimes we do pull officers off of the street in the policing district to assist. But we have certain teams. We have something called a mobile field force. And that's our special events uh, works together with our motorcycle team. Those guys and gals know how to move traffic, how to cordon off areas better than anybody in the city. So we, we use specialized units. Not only that, uh, those individuals 
individuals have been through special training so they can know, number one, they know what the, what people's rights are. They know what, what, what the Constitution allows them to do. They also know all the laws as far as distance and space and, and, and things that we have to be cognizant of when we separate two groups. We also reach out to our legal advisor. We have a legal advisor who's assigned to the police department that, you know, we'll describe, hey, we got these two groups. They want to do this and that. What, what can we legally do? What parameters can we give them and allow them to exercise their rights, but at the same time, keep them separate so they don't hurt each other? Nothing's done random. I can tell you that much. Uh, there's a lot of planning, a lot of legal uh, research done before we take on any event. What about when there's spontaneous protests and events? I mean, this happened. This has happened here in Fresno where something oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that I'm thinking specifically of, like, let's yeah. say that the Dobbs, you know, decision and people just yeah. took to the street. Oh, so. I, I know it. Well, I, I can tell you that um, a lot of our community organizers, and, and advocates around the city, they want the same thing we do. They want the ability for people to exercise their First Amendment right and be safe. So a lot of them, uh, frankly, they already know the rules. So when there is a spontaneous event, typically it's it's not deliberate to breaking the law. You know, we have them downtown all the time. They'll go to City Hall, they'll go in front of the federal courthouse, and they'll just be out there with signs, obeying every single law that we have. And those require, honestly, very little supervision. We send officers by and say, hey, do you guys need anything? Is there anything we can do? And then we just kind of stay out of the way. The only time we really get involved is when there's going to be traffic flow issues. For example, if it's going to be a march that's going to walk down the street, well, we don't want anybody to get hit by a car. So we want to be available to either do an organized march or make sure that we can stop traffic so nobody gets hit by a car. And then the other situation that I can think of is when there's an opposing group. So when you get two groups and you get a volatile, hot political topic, religious topic, whatever, I mean, those, those, you know, there's going to be a contention. There's going to be disagreements. So we want to be, we want to make sure that there's, that there's police presence so uh, people don't, you know, hurt anybody else. Look, you have the right to scream and jump and shout and say which what's on your mind. That is your, that is your constitutional right. You do not have the right to assault, to threaten, to attack anybody else. And uh, we want to make sure that doesn't happen. So when those events do occur, um, again, we have our mobile field force, our, our motorcycle officers that can deploy very, very quickly, and they can be supported by the rest of our teams. Great. You were talking about liaisons to different groups. You spoke specifically about the Punjabi liaison. Is there an LGBT liaison? Is that something that you're hoping to do? And if, if so, if that's a, a goal, how does that happen? Well, that, that is that is actually something that I mentioned to the mayor not too long ago. And I said, hey, I think it's time that, that the Fresno Police Department have an official, you know, LGBT liaison. And we, we have one now because we, we have the Central Policing District and we have a captain, his name is Captain Beckwith, who works very closely with, with the Tower community and people who represent the LGBT community. And there's an open dialogue there where, where various members can contact him in case there's any issues. So, so we technically have one, but I would like to see, I'm very much open that if there is a, a police officer who you know fits that demographic who wants to do it, I'll, I'll tell you this much, we don't have a official liaison for Latino community because more than half the police department is Hispanic include myself so <laughs> there that that's been established strongly but we do have uh we have multiple liaisons for our Punjab community and our mom community and you know this is something that we have to continue to 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 work on so certainly i'm i'm open to that i definitely want to uh, find the right person but the, the the communication will be strong and will continue regardless what do you wish our community knew about the police department um you know i really want them to know how diverse we are 
The Fresno Police Department is is literally one of the most diverse police departments in the country. I can tell you that the majority of our police officers are minority or women, and that's pretty rare across the country. I mean, we've seen we've seen other police departments in the Midwest and South that are you know in the '90s all white males. So we definitely resemble our community better than than most police departments. This past year, we were very successful. You know, we hired a total of two hundred and six either police officers or cadets, and about 75% of them were minority, and over 20% of them are women. Uh, those are the numbers for 2022. And as I said before, we have we have a we have a lot of Punjabi officers, we have a lot of Hmong officers, we have a lot of female officers. The African American community is is a very small percentage here in Fresno. It's only about you know six, seven percent. So, you know, our police department is only about three or four percent. So we need to work on that because I'm a firm believer that the police department should match this community as far as demographics. We also have, uh, as I said before, openly gay police officers who do a great, great job. And they're, they're some of our leaders, uh, some of our, our best detectives and most competent police officers. And we're very proud of them. So I want the community to know that, that we are them, that we are a reflection of our Fresno community. Wonderful. Those were all my questions. I am so glad that you were able to take the time and talk with me today. Thank you very much for thinking of us in the Fresno Police Department, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to communicate with uh, with our community. Again, we're, we're here to protect and serve everyone, so please feel free to reach out anytime. If there's questions or issues or concerns, we'll be more than happy to to answer your questions and work with you to, to make sure people can live in our community and you know, be happy and, and fulfill their dreams. Again, that was Police Chief Paco Balderrama, and it was really nice to get to talk to him. I have to tell you, I thought I was going to get some kind of PR person, community liaison. Yeah, yeah. And I got the chief. And basically, I just tweeted the at him. The new chief. The Not new just chief. the chief, the new chief. Yeah, I, 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 he's very approachable on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and between Twitter and Facebook and the, and the forums, man, they got back to me right away, and it was great. So it's nice that Fresno is, is a small town in a big city, so to speak, because you can actually reach out and talk to these public, uh, you know, servants. Yeah, and lately with all the flack that police have been getting across the country, um, it's good to actually talk to... He was very well-spoken and mm-hmm. very... Uh, the the, the uh, diversity that he explained and how they reach out to the community, that's all good stuff. So, I, I, you know, there's been a conversation in the last couple of years about do we have police officers at Pride, um, which happened in San Francisco and New York and other places. You know, we, we have to temper the problems that we have with the with the law enforcement with the fact that law enforcement has stood behind us in a lot of ways so that's an ongoing conversation for sure and i thought it was nice that he when he talked about how they like to work with the community leaders and sometimes gets a heads up on events that might potentially be volatile and so what a what an amazing segue i just did let's talk about <laughs> an event that has the potential to be volatile segue yes. segue ah uh, yes it's always nice when someone else dings my dinger whoa oh, whoa, whoa. whoa no never mind sorry let's, let's let's mean talk that. to <laughs> let's talk to cat hi doctor cat. how are you hi <laughs> so this is dr Catherine fobear with fresno state and tell us about the event coming up. So this is a fundraiser for our new LGBTQ2 plus studies minor. It's called, because we like our titles, A Love <laughs> Letter to Fresno's Queer West. It's all about a celebration of the particular uh, unique culture, one of many unique cultures here in our LGBTQ community in the Fresno and the Central Valley, which is its love for the country, western aesthetic, and music. So we're going to be having dancing, 
food, as well as country western drag shows. And it's on uh, Saturday, February 18th from 6 to 9 p.m. at Fresno State. Tickets are almost sold out, um, but if you go to the Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies website or our Facebook, you can find a link to where to buy the tickets. Now, you said 6 to 9, but this says 6 to 8. Is it 6 to 9 or 6 oh, sorry, to 8? 6 to 8. 6 sorry. to 8. The, the show ends at 9. I should okay. say that. Okay. That's amazing. And, and that's all drag time, so we never know. But you know, Right, for yeah. sure. I can't. I, I mean, Jolene, right? It has to happen. <laughs> it's going to be great. There's going to be some real classics as well as contemporary country music. That's and, very cool. I love country music. And I'll be actually co-hosting yes. with Kat. So it's yeah. going to be a fun night. And yeah. I, Will there be line dancing? You said dancing. There's right? going to be square dancing. Oh, my oh, God. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that will be square dancing. And then we're going to have a really delicious food by Tacos Marquitos, who's an amazing supporter of our community. Um, Alaman left, Alaman right. I remember those. Yeah, 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 you can dance. Bring your partner, Dosey yeah. Doe. Bring her home. It's going to be a great the- show. <laughs> I know the dirty version too. But, Kat, tell us about the um, L- the new LGBTQ plus studies minor at Fresno. Yeah, State. absolutely. So this is um, a new minor here at Fresno State, um, and it's all dedicated to uh, queer studies. So students take a variety of courses in queer studies. A lot of it aimed to those students who want to work with communities so we actually since it's a minor and it comes out of our women gender and sexuality studies department it's a minor in our department a lot of the students who take this minor don't often major in women's studies they're majoring in sociology they're majoring in criminal justice social work and so forth but they take these these this minor because they want to either see themselves represented in the curriculum as this is really the only place where you can find LGBTQ content, histories, voices, and so forth. Or, and usually and or, they want to work with community. And part of that community is the LGBTQ community. So we find we really see this minor as serving multiple fronts at Fresno State as both like representation, which has been sorely needed at Fresno State for representing LGBTQ voices in the curriculum but also as a way for critical intervention for those who want to become teachers, become nurses, become social workers, working in criminal justice, all of those sort of things, you're going to be working with the LGBT community. So we have a a lot of cool classes. We have one specifically designed for teachers around LGBTQ LGBTQ inclusion in classes. We're working on a couple of new courses for, for psychology, public health, criminal justice. So it's all, it's, it's, New classes are developing, but right now we have a really great core of courses that make them minor. And we have so far 30 students. Cool. And we just launched the minor last fall, and it was a slow roll launch. Right. Mm -hmm. And already we have 30 students who who are going to be taking this. We expect to see more and more. It's been an incredible excitement. I I can tell you, um, as the person, I'm the coordinator of this new LGBTQ studies minor, and I have gotten so many responses from the huge Fresno State alumni that are out there who are, who say to me, and this line gets repeated over and over, I wish I had this. I wish I had this, yeah. When I was at Fresno State. Right. You know, and I think, and it comes from everybody across the spectrum, both like LGBTQ community alumni as well as allies. We were like, I wanted this. Yeah. I wanted this education. 
Yeah, and now and, they and have it. You know, the three of us were at the Sanger School Board uh, recently. Yes. The, the meeting where they were ta- they allowed the public to talk about the banning of the rainbow flag in the classroom. And we talked to a couple of teachers mm-hmm. uh, that were sitting in front of us. And they were saying things like, you know, we need the resources. We need so to be able to teach teachers how to deal with LGBTQ people and know about LGBTQ education is really important. And, you know, since we're so behind the ball here, it's going to take time to have this seep into into the public. But also, so that class I'm so proud of. So we we designed it in... in uh, collaboration with liberal studies, that class is also not only about how to create an LGBTQ inclusive curriculum, also support LGBTQ students, but also your rights. Like we have laws in California that supports teachers and all public schools to teach LGBTQ studies. Right. Like the fact that Sanger is banning the pride flag actually goes against state policies. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So it's about also emboldening teachers who can feel very vulnerable because a lot of them are on like limited contracts and all of these things to say like, no, actually Actually, I'm following state law that, like, you need to have LGBTQ representation in the classroom from K all the way to 12. But, you know, the way they're getting around that is they're saying uh, we're also we're protecting the other students from things that might be bothering them. And we have an LG, we have a, a GSA on campus. So we're supporting gay students there. Uh, it, yeah. No, no, absolutely. Like, right. So this is the wonderful word wordplay they're doing. Right, but right. the truth is, is that out of the fair education policy they're in violation. If you ban, like, it's just like if you banned teaching about uh, the Civil War and teaching about slavery, right? Like, or teaching about uh, inequality. I mean, like... Which is happening across the country. Exactly. It's also happening here in California. But our state policies, the Fair Education Act, which is like the big one, says that you need to have in your curriculum representation of race, representation around gender, so women, representation around sexuality, different religions, and so forth. You need to have that inclusive curriculum. Where is curriculum. this stuff happening within California? Like, you're talking about opposition to critical race theory and stuff like that? Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. I'll give you an example. So, when we went to that thing, uh, I also talked to a couple of teachers, and I think it's really important to to always think about how like oppression and silencing works together with other oppression and silencing. Right. So the same time as they're like banning critical race or, or the flag, they're also banning critical conversations around race. Right. A teacher told me that when they had a presentation about the banning of the of the pride flag along with like the nazi flag and all of these right. other flags <laughs> the other which are like that's flag, not yeah. equitable right. right the teacher said to me and you know i'm like asking because i the teacher teaches history they were saying like the principal was like well you know like it's about creating a what is it like a non-controversial non- classroom confrontational, confrontational yeah. classroom yeah, yeah. he's like so you know as a history teacher you wh- how do you teach the civil war from both sides there are no and so, so the teacher's wow. like there are no both sides. It's slavery. Right. It right. was wrong. Like what side do you want like, like teach the Robert E. Lee side, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that she even had during a student parent you know, meetings, a parent asking, like, are you gonna teach both sides about the Holocaust? Oh my god. Oh. Right, like so like this so I think, you know, if anything for those who maybe are not that invested in the pride flag banning, which you should be anyways, right. but see it as that these sort of attacks and this sort of idea of trying to revive revision of history, revision of of critical conversations 
are all together feeding into inequality. And all it's feeding into snowball into much worse things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just a. But play. that's how they're arguing it. They're saying it's there should be two sides to every story. And I'm sorry, there's not always two sides to there's every story. There's not right. always two sides. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that that gets you into things with like unbiased journalism because they want to say on on say news organizations we have to give equal side to people who disagree right. so that we're balanced and that's just not the case if you have one person who's spouting off hate of their rocker and they're yeah. spouting hate that doesn't necessarily they yeah. don't need space equal lasers yeah and when we talk about going people. back to the moon which we're talking about now should we have people in the studio that say the moon landing never happened I mean no, no we of shouldn't course of course not. not yeah right exactly it, yes. Ay, ay, ay. I should say this, though. I feel very blessed to be at Fresno State because I have been incredibly... This is... I No, because I feel incredibly supported, both as, um, you know, I was hired in 2017 as a queer scholar who does queer research, as an openly queer person, and, you know, part of my job was to build this minor, which has been a, one of the most amazing, rewarding experiences of my life. And I cannot tell you how grateful I am that I have a university that has been fully behind me, yeah, my department yeah. fully behind me. Even to, like, the higher administration, like, you know, for this fundraiser event that's happening on February 18th, President Saul Jimenez-Sandoval is coming. Wow, like, our president wow. of our university, right? Like, that shows you that that is... That that's validating, and that's yeah. incredibly, and that's that's a beautiful. And thing. I think in California we kind of maybe expect that at this point. But you should. But you shouldn't. You should right. not take it for granted. We that's, are we are one of only five LGBTQ studies programs in the CSUs. Yeah, like that tells you like there still needs to be right. more work there. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to see that it's happening at Fresno State, yeah. and it's nice to have that sort of support. And I'm so grateful for my chair, Larissa Mercado Lopez, and my fellow faculty. It's been great. And also just the warm response from the community towards this minor. Yeah. And yeah. so, again, and this event is February 8th, Saturday, February 8th, 18th, February 18th, 18th sorry. 18th. And now that, I, now that I know there's going to be square dancing, I think I might actually have to come. So, All right. Yeah. Good. Okay, cool, there you cool. go. <laughs> All right. So let's talk. Well, you want to do good news, bad news? Oh, yeah. Mine are real fast. My bad news is that... <clears throat> "Quote unquote Freedom Caucus getting all of those committee seats. Think um, grumble, grumble, and boo. You can push that little angry button. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Not happy about it. Um, my good news has to do with the Glad Media Award nominations that just came out. The thirty fourth Glad." media nominations Um, outstanding film everything everywhere all at once is nominated I'm super excited also Strange World by Disney so that's good another one is My Policeman is nominated and you and I just talked about that we did we had a podcast about that we did a whole podcast about it Outstanding Drama um the Star Trek Discovery was nominated. I'm very excited. My nerd heart is happy. And then outstanding new TV film series or series, uh, League of Their Own. Yay! And our flag means death. See proof oh, that you need to watch it. I still it. haven't you seen still that. Need to I, watch I, I, it. I'm going to do it this weekend. So I mean, so Star are, Trek Discovery was nominated. For, nominated for yeah. what? There's oh. For what? I thought no. What did you just mention for oh, best? Oh, for um, it's nominated for outstanding new TV series. No, no, I love that show. Yeah. I think that's one of the best Star Trek series it's, ever. It's amazing, and yeah. I love Stamets and and Doctor. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. amazing too. Okay, so those are my goods and my bads. Okay, so my bad is this happened in Arizona. After listening to nearly an hour of testimony from transgender constituents and advocates, imploring them to reject a proposal that would restrict 
preferred pronoun use in schools. They're so upset about preferred pronouns, they don't, they're passing laws. Well, this is a, an education board, but they're passing laws to uh, ban it. Um, I wanted to read this one quote from Erica Kepler, a trans woman and co-founder of Arizona, Arizona Trans Alliance. She strongly objected to the, to the assertion that gender dysphoria leads to a higher risk of suicide risk. Quote, no one commits suicide because they are gender dysphoric. They do it because family and society won't accept them or allow them to live as their true selves, unquote. I yes. thought that was a great statement. Now. On the flip side of that, conservative activist Heather Rook said, quote, asking for preferred pronouns is asking someone to reveal their sexual attraction. They don't even understand (laughs) that gender and sexuality are completely different things. And and as someone else there said, it's not the job of the teacher to make sure that children feel safe with their sexuality in the classroom. So they are classifying um, calling people by their preferred pronouns as revealing their sexuality and promoting sexuality when it has nothing to do with sexuality. It has to do with gender. They don't even understand that core concept. Um, but luckily, uh, the new governor, Katie Hobbs, has said that she would probably veto it, and she uh, denounced anti-LGBTQ laws. My Yay. good news is there's a new study out. Transgender use reported more life satisfaction and fewer symptoms of depression and anxiety after receiving gender-affirming hormone therapy for two years. Now, this is a big controversy out there about when, when do you give hormones to teenagers and this and that. Um, this is a new study uh, by the New England Journal of Medicine. Researchers found that, on average, participants reported increases in positive emotions, life satisfaction, and appearance congruence. Those increases were associated with decreases in depression and anxiety symptoms. The findings, researchers wrote, support the use of hormone therapy as an effective treatment for trans and non-binary use. And um, so uh, when we post our show, we will post links to all the things oh, we yeah. have talked about. Definitely. Um, and, and that just goes to show you that um, gender euphoria is a very real thing, and that is how we combat gender dis- that dysphoria right. is by euphoria of looking at the mirror and being like, yep, that's me and that's what I'm supposed to be. Are you finding these conversations at all with people saying, uh, teachers specifically saying, I don't want to be forced to use preferred pronouns in the classroom? Not the teachers that I'm teaching at Fresno State. I will say this is that there was a fantastic quote about how the younger generation uh, like, you know, like all those who are against like transgender rights or, or other sort of rights they are fighting against a wave that is happening. Like I'm, I teach mostly Gen Zers now, and they are incredible in trying to create an accepting, open, yeah. and loving environment. Yeah. So it's very frustrating to see this sort it's of. It's scary that people are bothered by what you have to call somebody. And why sure. now? Why not? Yeah, because exactly. trans people have been here for this whole time. Right. right. So, it's just the new hot topic. So we want to thank Kat for being here. We got our final quotes of it for the show. Kaylee, do you want to do yep. yours? Mine is an MLK quote in honor of Dr. King, and it says, "Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper." darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. All right. And mine, since Madonna just announced her tour, is from Madonna, which I normally wouldn't quote, but she said, this is referring to her relationship with the LGBTQ community. They made me feel not afraid to be different. I was blown away by people's bravery and courage and outspokenness and not bowing down to fear. That, in turn, inspired me. So thank you, Madonna. So thank you guys for joining us. You can email us at itsaqueerthing at gmail.com and find us on Facebook and Instagram and download the episode wherever you you listen to your podcast. All right. Thanks, guys. See you next time.